Hey, welcome to Shift for Life. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Eden. We are both mothers, Christians, and total birth nerds. And this is where we talk about all things related to the childbearing year, with an emphasis on supporting your physiology and embracing the freedom and responsibility we have as mothers. And we do it all through the lens of scripture and our faith in Christ. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi guys, and welcome to this episode of uh, the Shift for Life podcast. Um, Today we're going to be talking about uh, the birth of Coulter, which is Rebecca's first um, baby, her first son, and like me, she chose to have a home birth. And so I think we're just going to start by like seeing what that process was like for her, because for me, obviously, it was so instinctive. Um, But Becca had kind of a different approach, and so we're going to dive into that. You want to go ahead and start, Becca? Sure. So... um... Yeah, so I know we've shared a little bit on previous episodes, um, just like how like my first exposure to home birth and like, you know, like all through my childhood, I was like kind of obsessed with birth and all of that. Um, But to just kind of recap briefly, like where I was coming from as a as a young woman, as a young mom, um, I had seen the Business of Being Born documentary um in college not I mean not like in a college class but you know when I was in college and um Mm -hmm. so that was kind of my first like real exposure um to home birth and I was like super fascinated by it thought it was like a super cool idea but also kind of felt like like but surely it's safer in a hospital like I loved the idea but like the safety thing um was kind of a big deal to me And, um, I also, you know, like I grew up with a pretty positive mindset about birth. Like my mom had had all unmedicated births in the hospital and just definitely spoke of it as like something that was like doable and, um, not like this horrible experience that you just like had to get through to get to your baby, you know, like there was like none of that in how she talked about birth. And Mm -hmm. so I had like a pretty good you know, like I had a pretty, fairly positive attitude toward birth at that point. Um, but I just didn't actually know like a lot about like the safety, like, I've, you know, a lot of times like you'll still see, you know, like in movies and TV or even in books or whatever, like birth is this really dramatic event with all these things mm-hmm. that can go wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I had never like, I kind of still had that in my mind too, even though you know, even though my mindset was generally positive and, but I didn't actually know like, oh, what actually can go wrong at birth? You know, if you'd been like, oh, what are you afraid of going wrong? I would have had no clue. You know? <laughs> um, and so, so yeah, that was my first exposure to it. And I think, and I didn't know anybody who'd had a home birth at that point. I mean, if I did, I was not aware that they'd had home births, you know, mm-hmm. um, And so when I got married, I, um, my husband and I lived out in California and I, um, started nannying for a doula who had had, she had two children and she'd had her first um, baby in the hospital and her second baby at home. And, um, I was able to just like really talk through like a lot of my like fears and concerns with her. And, um, she was very encouraging of having a home birth, like even with a first baby, because I had kind of been like, 
Oh, maybe I'll have a home birth for yeah. all yeah. my other babies, but not for my first baby. Like, mm-hmm. I'll yeah. Be little to be on the safe side, like, make sure I can do it. Like, you know, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And um, she was kind of like, okay, that first experience is really important and can really set the tone for all your other births, you know? Right. And, you know, really kind of emphasized, like, you know, the section rate in hospitals is, you know, right around 30%. And if you have a C-section with the first baby, it's harder to have a vaginal birth with subsequent babies. Not that you, it's not that it's unlikely that you can do it or anything, but you're capable of it. Just finding a supportive care provider and all of that can be a lot bigger challenge and everything. Um, so she kind of like doula me through all of those fears. Yeah initially which was like I'm so glad that I had that because I'm such a like slow processor and it just takes me a while to get like comfortable with like when like new information really feel like I have a thorough enough grasp of it to actually make a decision Mm. get into account if that makes sense um and so yeah and so um so by the time I was expecting, I knew I wanted a home birth, um, but I had had a miscarriage before that had been super traumatic. And um, so that like intensified my need for safety, you know, because mm-hmm. um, as much as I like loved natural birth at that point I had like attended a handful of births as a doula and um, in the birth network and stuff like as much as I loved all things natural birth I was also like okay but I would take all the unnecessary interventions to hold that baby alive for a minute you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so like the need for safety was kind of intensified but I had also seen like how much a hospital and doctors can get wrong like in my right I probably had some trauma too from like oh, being yeah. in a hospital you know what I mean yeah it's just exactly. not, a pos- not having positive experience in a hospital and then yeah, right like I was already like I mean nobody like loves going to the hospital typically you know right. um and so I was already like not super comfortable in a hospital setting but then having that miscarriage experience in the hospital was extremely traumatic and I had to um like go back for blood work like every week for months afterwards um Mm -hmm. because of the particular complications um that happened in that in that event and so like I would like leave like by the time I would leave the hospital I would be like shaking and vomiting like Mm -hmm. you know and um like I probably probably for close to a year afterwards like I had definitely had some PTSD symptoms like I (laughs) had a diagnosis if I'd wanted to Mm -hmm. right um so yeah, there was definitely a lot of atta- attached to the hospital setting itself, and I'd like have bad dreams about being like trapped in the hospital, or, you know, like mm. all, yeah, definitely trauma there. Um, and they were just like, kind of up on some kind of big things, like things that seemed pretty like kind of a big deal to me. So it was like, mm. like I knew stuff like that could happen, but like I had actually seen it happen, and it happened to me, right? <laughs> and mm-hmm. So. So I, I was just like, I like very much lost confidence in the safety of the hospital system and like in the, basically in the wisdom of care providers. Um, mm-hmm. And even though they were like, they weren't like, it's not like they were bad people. Like they were all like very like kind, compassionate 
care providers. They weren't like jerks or anything, but they, mm-hmm. messed, you know, and um, and so it was kind of this like weird um, side by side, like developments in two different areas of just losing confidence that the hospital provided much safety in general Mm -hmm. and also feeling like safety was even more important to me now (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so um so by the time I got pregnant for Coulter um I got pregnant for him about eight months after my miscarriage and um my husband had just got out of the navy we had just moved back to Michigan we were living with his parents who you know like I don't know, all that, like, transitioning from the military to civilian life stuff was happening, and, like, that's, like, no walk in the park. Um, Nobody warns you about that when you're a military spouse. Um, (laughs) But um, there was, like, no way we could financially swing a home birth at that point, and so I had kind of just settled into, like, okay, we're going to have a hospital birth, and I'm just going to, like, do my best and like have a good attitude about it be positive you know and um you know because like our insurance would cover 100% of the hospital birth and so I kind of settled into that but um and I was seeing like a a resident practice so I hardly ever saw the same doctor like you know two appointments in a row and um so I was kind of just slowly going through um like items on my on my birth plan basically and I was trying really hard to not come across as like some crazy crunchy um I don't know just like I was trying hard to not come across as like too unconventional you know and um and so I would just kind of go through a couple things and I was just like you know I just have some things that are that I, I would like, but there are things I'm willing to compromise on. So I would just appreciate it if you guys would just be really honest about what I can expect. That way I have, I can prepare either way, you know, like I just like was trying to be like super diplomatic about it and stuff. And um, so a lot of that went well. And then um, later in pregnancy, probably, I don't know, probably around like 20 weeks or so, um, I started really seeing some major red flags. And so um, I think probably the first one being uh, when I refused the Tdap shot, they like just had like people coming in, like they really tried to push me to take it. And then they had like at the next appointment, they really tried to push me to take it and had like multiple people come in and talk to me. Like it felt very oh. much harassment. Like it was ridiculous. Mm. Yeah. Um, even like like one of my husband's aunts who's a nurse and she's like pro-vaccine and everything was just like yeah that's harassment like report that to the ethics board mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. and so that was kind of my first thing and like up to that point I'd been pretty compliant mm-hmm. not really like put up a big fight about anything and um, I think all of a sudden they were like oh she's not just gonna roll like go with the flow <laughs> you know? yeah and then, um, and then I had a, like an incident too, where I was, I had kind of come to the point on my birth plan where I, um, we, we were like talking about pushing and stuff. And I was like, you know, I'd really like to push in whatever uh, position feels comfortable for me. Yeah. And 
um it was like this older male ob and he was like well you can push however you want but when you give birth you'll be on your back with your feet and stirrups and i was like (laughs) and i was just like i don't think that's necessary and he's like well it is necessary so that we can help you get the baby out and i wanted to i wanted to just be like yeah i don't think i'm gonna need your help but i just kind of like like shut my mouth but wasn't like oh okay you know i just Mm -hmm. stopped talking and he was like and if you want something different than that you need to find a different you need to go somewhere else but don't have a home birth (laughs) oh my goodness (laughs) like just straight up said it which Mm. on the one hand I'm like okay thank you for being honest like Mm -hmm. you know like I would rather people kind of be asinine about it than uh right lull people lull women into like this false sense of security Security. and that like oh I could actually have a physiological birth not that you never can but like so much of that depends on your care provider not not because and like legally force you to do certain things but because when you're in labor and like in the midst of all of that like who wants to have to have a fight about that right Right. and so a lot of times women will just I mean I've seen it over and over again with doula clients like they'll not want to push on their back or you know whatever Mm -hmm. but then they just kind of roll with it yeah they're overwhelmed and they just want to get the baby out you know right and so at that point i was like that's what said. and i was how am i i was like thinking through things like i wonder how quietly i can labor maybe it'll go really fast and i can just have the baby at home but <laughs> like, kind of like sort of ridiculous things but also that 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 that's right mm-hmm. <laughs> And because um, at that point it was still it was just not a possibility at all financially to have a home birth. Mm. But then my husband got a different job and they like provided like like. But it's not like like you didn't have to spend it on insurance. So I was like, if we can find uh-huh. a, a midwife who can take payment plans, we can totally put that money <laughs> for a home birth. And Tyler was kind of like okay yeah I guess that's fine and he was not I don't he was open to home birth but he was not like 100% on board because he was worried about safety stuff at that point Um, but we went to a um, like did like an interview with a couple midwives the first I was like wasn't really jiving and then the second midwife we went and um like interviewing her talking through like what she does in situations and just like kind of hearing her approach to midwifery care and to you know maternal maternity care and everything um like totally set my husband at ease like she had um been a midwife for like 35 years I think at that point and had attended the births of well over 3,000 babies. It may have been may have been over over 3,500 babies. Um, so both he and I were just very comfortable and confident in her experience level. And she just has this very calm, confident presence. And she was also just like super encouraging. And like, you know, even early on, she in our interview, you know, she was like, you know, you can have a positive birth experience at home or in the hospital. So don't think this is your only option. And don't be 
um if this does you know if it doesn't work out like don't be down on yourself about it you know like kind of like that sort of thing so she was like just like super like fair about it um and so I switched to her at like 30 weeks I think 28 30 weeks and um it was really interesting because like I mean my first trimester of pregnancy is like always like terrible um I'm just like super sick and throw up a lot um but after that like you know I've continually feel better after that first trimester and so by the time I started care with her like the nausea was you know well past but I was like super tired um a lot of the time and she like gave me just like a few key things like nutrition wise and a couple supplements to start taking and like literally within days like my energy was like normal and I was like this is amazing like within like probably like two two appointments I was like okay even if I end up having to transfer to to the hospital like the prenatal care alone was worth what we paid for this you know um so yeah so I kind of you know that last 10-ish weeks of pregnancy I kind of like packed in all this good nutrition took all these good supplements started taking red raspberry leaf tea um and it was really cool because at each appointment she would like tell me some birth story that happened that week you know and a lot of times it would be like a first-time mom or you know something where there was a a similarity um to my situation and um and so that was just like super encouraging and confidence boosting you know right and such a difference too um from the hospital care that you were getting which wasn't helping you with nutrition and you weren't bonding with anyone in specific you were just seeing a bunch of random care providers there was no continuity whatsoever yeah exactly and like you know like at the hospital like for instance they checked my iron early on and it was like okay the first time they checked it but really low the second time so they like I talked to like a dietitian and she like gave gave some good recommendations and stuff like it's not like it's not like she did a bad job at her job but they like never checked it again (laughs) like with my midwife she like checked it and she was like oh we got to get that off you know Mm -hmm. And was, like, super proactive about it. And, like, wonder of wonders all of a sudden had energy when my iron levels were normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and one of the big things, I think, to me, like, that I, you know, that I said to my midwife in that first appointment or, you know, that first interview was just, you know, I, I said I have, like, a general confidence in a woman's ability to give birth. Like, I think most women can can do it can do it without medication like I've seen it happen I've I've supported women through it so I have like like this like a general framework of like birth works and women are capable Mm -hmm. but because I had dealt with like infertility and then miscarriage I didn't have a lot of confidence in my own body Mm -hmm. because it's like well those other processes didn't work right you know Mm -hmm. and um so if those you know other like reproductive processes basically aren't working right is birth gonna work right mm-hmm. and um so it's not like I, but there was definitely I had that background of experiences that did um make it a little harder to be as confident as I maybe would have been otherwise um and so I just felt like I really needed 
a care provider who was going to bolster my confidence and who had confidence in me rather than somebody who was just going to undermine my confidence every step of the way, you know? Right. Um, and so like, that was a really big deal to me and something that I was just like really aware of, you know? <laughs> and like, I knew I needed that. Um, thankfully at that point, like I did have a doula. And so, you know, I think I could have still had like an unmedicated birth in the hospital and it might've even gone like might have even been a positive experience depending on who was on call right like right but there was just there were so many unknowns and I had no idea who would be on call when I mm-hmm. actually labor you know and so yeah so it was just huge huge difference in care like I think I don't know a lot of people like their default is to be kind of suspicious of home birth and assume it's not as safe. I mean, that was my, that was my default, even though I was fascinated by it and thought it was super cool. Um, And, but like for a lot of people, it's like they're, I don't like the bar for care is so low. Like, Mm -hmm. like, like the thing they're trying to achieve is just a live mom and a live baby. Right. Of course we want a live mom and a live baby. But good care is a lot more than that. (laughs) And um, so sometimes, I don't know, especially if people are like really kind of like picking at home birth. I'm like, you realize how low your your bar is for care here, right? Right. Like prenatal care in a hospital setting is not does not have half the value of prenatal care with a home birth midwife, at least most home birth midwives. Obviously, right. there's a lot more variety with how they work, but they def- like they generally have a lot more like woman and family centered approach to care, mm-hmm. and they take into account you know stuff like nutrition and rest and mm-hmm. like your emotional state and yeah. way more on top of like um, talking about like postpartum mood disorders and. You know, they're like, what's your support network like? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, like a truly holistic approach to not just like this woman and baby as this little unit for this brief amount of time, but like this woman and this baby and like lifelong health, you know? Yeah, that. And I also think too, like, just it's like, this is where the family is born. And so, like, let's make that like, a great experience for the family you know what I mean right. like that's what my midwife says like her favorite part is is like it's like the family is born today right yeah um, absolutely yeah so beautiful yeah for sure yeah so I mean that was kind of my process for choosing home birth you know like I was initially fascinated but not convinced of the safety thing and then once I actually dove into the research and the statistics on it um I was convinced that it was the safest and then mm-hmm. when there was that added layer of the fact that just the hospital was a very like triggering mm-hmm. <laughs> um environment for me um you know I thought like okay I thought even even if it was here to have a first baby at home which some some studies point to that not all of them some of them actually like kind of show the opposite thing Mm -hmm. Um, I thought with how um with how feelings of safety or feelings of not being safe can affect the hormones of labor 
it would probably still be safer for me to have a first baby at home. Mm -hmm. You know, so that was also very much me, like, knowing my own situation and applying what I knew about birth in general to my situation and, like, weighing that into the, basically, how I kind of calculated risk, you know. Um, And the other thing that I was kind of taking into account is, like, not just like risk for this baby but for all my future babies because um you know even if like if you have a c-section the first time um it does increase your risk of like infertility and having like issues with your placenta and other things that can then affect the health and safety of all your future babies Mm -hmm. you know so that was like another another factor that I definitely hadn't thought about like early on when I was first thinking, thinking it all through, was just that this first birth can have a really big impact on all of my other children and all of their safety, you know. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of how I made the decision. Um, Do you want me to just kind of like go into like Coulter's actual birth story now? Or do you? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready for it. Okay. Okay, so leading up to Coulter's birth, um, I continued to see the OB practice at the hospital just because I was like, if I do end up needing to transfer for some reason, I just want to be like familiar and like kind of know what to expect and everything. So I like feel like I went on like the the tour of the maternity floor and you know, like kind of did like all the normal stuff just so I would be familiar. And I also I like didn't tell them that I was, you know, planning a home birth. Um, and I just I didn't want to be that person who like plans the home birth and then ends up back at a hospital like that. Mm-hmm. And part of that was like totally like my pride. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> but I was like, mm, I'd rather them just kind of like not know. And if I need to transfer, I just I just show up like I'm, you know, like like a normal patient type thing. <laughs> you know? right um which who knows if you're transferring it's pro- not probably not like that's how it would pan out mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. that felt better to me at the time yeah. <laughs> and um I was also in school at the time I was only taking one class but it was like a three-hour class like once a week and so as I was getting closer to having to giving birth I was like definitely I was like trying to stay like kind of ahead on my assignments and like really hoping that he would be born um actually on the day he was born um because I would be like done with a big paper and done with a big exam and like Mm -hmm. it would be easier like I could have kind of more time off basically um without it being like detrimental to my grades Mm -hmm. and so um so I kind of like was thinking that through and then but like on the other you know going on at the same time like as I'm seeing my OB they're like super pushing for an induction and pushing mm-hmm. for me to be indu- or like to schedule an induction and it was really funny early on in pregnancy because or like you know my first few appointments because um you know like I have a history of like long irregular cycles but I had actually had a normal cycle um when I got pregnant and so um, you know, I charted really carefully and was familiar with fertility awareness. And um, so I'd had a normal cycle, but I, but 
I had ovulated like day 18 and Mm -hmm. the way they calculate due dates, they assume that you ovulate on like day 14. And so the due date that I knew for myself was four days later than the due date they insisted on giving me. I was Mm -hmm. like, listen, I know, like, I know this is wrong. Like my due date is four days later than this. And they're like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, it's just a few days. Like it won't really make a big difference. And I was like, okay, whatever, I'm going to hold you to that. (laughs) And I also really wanted an early ultrasound um, because having had a partially molar pregnancy um, the first time, like I, like my risk, I mean, my risk is forever higher of having that happen again. Um, And so I really wanted to rule that out. It would have been like really, really good for my mental health to just be able to have an early ultrasound, you know, and um. And I was also kind of like, you know, like I do have this like history of really wacky cycles. Like, don't you want to actually know a, an accurate due date? Because I figured that would be better than than knowing for sure that it was wrong, you know. And so that didn't really come up again until I actually started getting close to my due date, of course. And um, so they were really pushing for induction. And I was like, hey, my due date is actually four days later than what you guys are saying and it is and you said it wouldn't be a big deal. So like, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not rolling with this, you know, and um, they were like really wanting to schedule an induction for um, what they would consider what they considered 41 weeks, which was actually like, you know, 40 weeks and three days or whatever. Right. And it was another one of those situations where they had multiple people come in and talk to me about it and oh. kind of me all the scare statistics about stillbirth and all the stuff about like, oh, well, there might not be a bed available for you if you actually really need like a medically urgent induction, if you don't just schedule one, you know, like mm-hmm. all this stuff. And I was just like, finally, I was just like, listen, I won't consent to an induction before November 11th. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I just gave them a date which was 42 weeks from, from based on my due date. Right. And at that point they just didn't know what to do with me. So um, they backed off and they scheduled like non-stress tests that I never showed up for. Um, nice. <laughs> and so my last appointment before I went into labor um, with my midwife, I was just kind of like venting about it. Mm-hmm. And she was kind of like, I think I think she was like thinking I was actually stressed about like um what if I'm doing the wrong thing by not getting induced type thing and she's like well like if you want to go that route this this and this I'm like no I don't want to go that route I'm just irritated yeah (laughs) and um and she was like well and but I also was sharing you know just that it would be really nice to have the baby like in the next couple of days because my big exam was done, my paper was done and you know, all these right. things. And um, so she was like, well, I can strip your membranes if you want. And that won't, it won't put you into labor if your baby isn't ready. Basically it releases a big surge of prostaglandins. And if that's the only thing we're waiting on hormonally for labor to get going, it'll put you into labor. But if we're still waiting on other stuff hormonally, um, it won't put you into labor, but it might make you crampy and uncomfortable and that might be frustrating and discouraging you know like she was just Mm -hmm. very honest about kind of like risks and benefits of that and I was like you know what let's go for it (laughs) so um like knowing I mean knowing what I know now I probably wouldn't have made that decision but it didn't I mean 
it didn't turn out to be like a bad decision either though you right. know so um so she stripped my membranes which was very uncomfortable quite painful would not recommend um and then I went and I had a chiropractor appointment that morning too I think I think I actually had the chiropractor appointment before mm-hmm. the appointment with my midwife and so then I like started driving home and like on my way home I started like having cramps and they just kind of felt like really mild period cramps um and so I was like okay well this might be something but it might not like you know either way I'd probably have a little bit of cramping and so I just kind of like went about my day as usual and I made like chicken scampi for supper and played fetch with my dogs and it was Halloween so I was also like should I be ready for trick-or-treaters or or not (laughs) (laughs) I was like thinking that through too but like I would be like should I get my membranes stripped on Halloween like (laughs) (laughs) well yeah and I mean I didn't want to have him on Halloween but I was like well I was like, I mean, I'm not showing any signs of labor right now, so it's probably not going to happen today, you know. Um, I was kind of taking my chances with that, I guess. Um, so, yeah. So, anyways, I was just, like, I was pretty relaxed. I wasn't, like, getting my home or anything. And um, I was just kind of, like, yeah, pretty, like, chill and optimistic about it. Um, but not not attached to anything happening, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I don't know, in the evening, I started watching a movie with Tyler. And I did realize that, like, sitting on the couch was super uncomfortable because I'd just been moving all day, you know. So mm-hmm. I didn't really feel like it was, like, anything was, like, intense or uncomfortable, you know. But sitting down and sitting still and not being mobile anymore was uncomfortable. So I, like, got my birth ball out and was, like, leaning over it um, while we watched the movie and stuff. But, like nothing what nothing was painful or anything at that point it was still this very crampy feeling and um but then at, I don't know around 10 o'clock at night I started kind of feeling like like okay these are actually starting to intensify a little bit they are getting longer and stronger and closer together which is kind of you know especially like being a doula like that's the pattern I look for you know <laughs> when I'm when I'm supporting a mom um she's really going into labor and that and um at that point so I was like I'm gonna go to bed because if this is the real thing I want to get some rest you're not gonna make a rookie mistake right what was that not you're not gonna make a rookie mistake Uh, yeah exactly yeah I was surely not gonna do that I'm like I'm gonna get all the sleep I can and just ignore this as long as possible (laughs) that's like my whole like my whole co- coping mechanism is just ignore it until I can't anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. And um, which my mom is not a fan of, but no. I can't help it. <laughs> I know. I feel. I feel you. <laughs> um. So I went to bed and I was sleeping like really restlessly. I got up like several times because I had to pee, and um, I. Each time I got up to use the bathroom, I had a little bit of bloody show. So I was like, okay, well, that's kind of encouraging. Like something's happening. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm having the baby in the next 24 hours or anything. But it is, that is showing at least a little bit of like cervical activity, you know. Um, so I was kind of excited about that. But I just kept trying to sleep because I was genuinely super, super tired. Mm-hmm. And so I woke up at, I think, about 2.30 to a contraction where I was like, oh, definitely can't sleep through these anymore. <laughs> like, it wasn't, like, terribly painful or anything, but it was really intense, you know. 
I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is not just a cramp. This is a contraction. <laughs> and um, so I started kind of getting like making sure all the birth supplies, they like gathering up like my toiletries and stuff. And, um, and but like getting up and down to like pick up bags or like put stuff into boxes or whatever was like really hard <laughs> and so I woke Tyler up and asked him to like kind of finish that stuff up and I had Cheerios and um, I called I can't remember who I called first but I called my mom and my doula and my midwife and because uh, we were because we had the baby at my at my parents' house because we had just moved into the house that we were renting. And so nothing was really ready to to be set up for a birth. And so we had already made the plan to just have him at my parents' house. Um, and so I called my midwife and she's like, okay, well, like, you know, sounds like you're kind of in early-ish labor. And I think I had checked in with her the night before too and it was just like, hey, this is what's going on, you know, nothing nothing to get excited about, just kind of keeping her in the loop, you know. Right. Um, so she asked me, like, where I was feeling the contractions peak, like, on my on my belly, and um, just, like, reminded me to stay mobile and, like, keep my hips loose and mobile. And um, I don't know, I think she told me to, like, do some pelvic tilts or something. I can't remember. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so we got all of the stuff loaded up and headed up to my parents' house. And we were in this, like, little old Mazda. It was, like, a stick shift. And it was, like, I don't know if it was, like, had something wrong with the muffler or what. But it was so loud. It was ridiculous. (laughs) And it's, like, a little car, you know. And so I was coping really well until I was stuck in the car and couldn't move. Uh And so I was, like, turned around in the front seat like holding onto the back of the seat definitely vocalizing through <laughs> contractions at this point right we're, like driving up the highway and as we're like approaching the exit to the hospital I'm like I could just go to the hospital right now and get an epidural like, <laughs> like natural birth isn't for everybody home birth isn't for everybody that's fine like there's no shame in there like you know like, like giving like just like talking talking to myself kind of like dueling myself like right through this like like because like the option for the epidural was like right there like 10 minutes away (laughs) (laughs) and then and then we like passed the accident I'm like okay or not (laughs) yeah (laughs) so then I was kind of I was committed then right (laughs) so it's kind of funny to me like looking back because I was just like I think I was trying to just really hold my plans like loosely and Mm -hmm. I didn't want to like be disappointed in myself so I was really um like I had like a like a list of criteria like met by doula where I was like I was like okay if I'm really having a hard time during labor and we try this 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 and this for this lawn I'm fine with going to the hospital and getting an epidural <laughs> like, right and so because I just I think I just like didn't want to set myself up for failure and it was like pretty it wasn't like it was easy criteria to right to me like it was still like you know making it challenging you know um, right but yeah it was just kind of funny because like looking back I'm like man that's washy <laughs> you know <laughs> and um so we got to my parents house I got out of the car my mom and dad like came out to meet us and um I you know was kind of like still vocalizing through contractions and everything 
and um mom was kind of like oh wow yeah she's really in labor this is like not <laughs> labor you know and um so I came inside I think we got to my parents house I don't know I think it was like at like five in the morning um five or five thirty I don't know what took us so long to get out the door but mm. that's how long it took and, um, and so yeah I just started like um kind of like leaning on I was leaning on the bed for a while I kind of like laid down for a while because I was like I was pretty tired at that point um and very shortly after I got there my doula arrived and it was kind of cool because she had um a baby who is like three and a half four months old at that point and I'd been present at his and she brought him with her so it was really cool because when she walked in the door, I was just like, oh, hi, Matthias. Like, it totally, uh, like, changed my mood. I was like, okay, I get one of those at the end of this. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> and I think it was, like, kind of like a little, like, oxytocin boost or something for yes. me. Because he was, like, just, like, all, like, cute and smiley and, you know, just a kid that was special to me because I'd been there for his birth. Right. And um, so that was really cool. And... So, yeah, she got there shortly after we got there. And then um, then my midwife arrived shortly after she did. So I don't remember exactly what time it was when she got there, but it was probably like 6 or 6.30. And um, she right away was like, okay, let's like dim the lights, um, mm-hmm. kind of like directed my breathing a little bit more. Like I was doing pretty good with like taking deep breaths and staying fairly relaxed but she kind of gave me a few more pointers and um I don't know probably after she'd been there for maybe like 45 minutes or so um I was starting to get a little bit pushy not not significantly but like just kind of like the little like grunts at the end of contractions you know and so right. she was like, well let's let's check you and see where you're at before you start start bearing down too much and so I was like nine centimeters and um which was like super encouraging to me because one of the other things I thought when we were like on my way up to my parents house was if I if she gets here and I'm only four centimeters I'm going like right back to the hospital getting enough (laughs) (laughs) and um and so but I was not four centimeters. I was nine centimeters. So I was like, oh, okay. Right. Yes. I was way overcompensated <laughs> for that. Because I was like, it was kind of, because like, it's like my analytical brain never really shut off. Because I was like, uh-huh. okay, if I, had, if I had a doula client who was acting like this, where would I think she was at? And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I think she was like eight or nine centimeters. But mm-hmm. I'm going to like, I'm going to guess more like six centimeters so that I'm not disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> and so then I was nine and I was like okay okay I, I was pretty on track there <laughs> and, yeah. um, but I had like an anterior lip and so she didn't want me like leaning forward too much because she didn't want to like pinch and swell and mm. all of that like with the because I think his head was a little bit high still at that point um and so she had me kind of like semi-reclining like still like fair, fairly upright but just leaning back a little bit Um, so there wasn't pressure on that anterior lip and that was absolutely hellish Mm. and I did it and I was not expecting Mm. to do that in a home birth (laughs) right because like one of the big things that you always kind of hear touted is like oh yeah you can like move however you want you know Mm. like you don't have to give birth on your back like you know all these things and here I was semi-reclined and hating it (laughs) 
<laughs> right. And so I pushed like that for a while. Um, and at that point, she was like, you know, don't push more than you have to. Like, don't add mm-hmm. extra force to it. But obviously your body's doing it. So, right. so this is what we're going to do. And so um, then I needed to use the bathroom. So I went and peed and then um, just kind of labored on the toilet for a little while, which felt really good. Like it was mm-hmm. so much better than how, how it had been. And um, so then when we went back to the bed, I like, got on my hands and knees and she was like, oh, okay, this is what we're doing. I'm like, yes, this is what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so then I pushed and um his head came out and it was really funny because she was trying to like show me um like use the mirror so I could like see his head you know because right. I couldn't really see much and um I just it was it was not working while well. I couldn't see it so like Tyler went uh-huh. and took a picture and then showed me the picture sweet <laughs> it was so funny like he was like totally into it you know yeah and um yeah, and so at that point, I was, like, I pushed for, like, an hour and a half total, so I was pretty tired at that point, but I was also really excited that, like, it was almost done, and, like, like I was laughing in between contractions, you know, like, the contractions yeah. were, like, super hard, but, um, and, like, there were definitely some tears mm-hmm. involved, but, like, but in between, I was, like, talking and laughing, like, really happy, right. you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and so then, so his head came out, and then the next contraction, she was, like, okay, you need to push, but I was feeling, like, zero urge to push, mm. and so I was, like, trying to, but just, like, wasn't pushing very effectively, and it felt like it was an emergency or something, because everybody's, like, kind of yelling at me to push, you know, not, like, me, uh, but, like, right, telling me to, and then, and then I felt the urge to push, and he came right out, and so, mm. um, <clears throat> I don't know what I really loved about Coulter's birth experience too was like because I was like on my hands and knees she just like my midwife just passed in between my legs and set him on the bed in front of me Mm -hmm. so and I was able to just kind of like you know like I just sat back so I was like kneeling and um and he like I just had like a minute to like look at him and take him in and Mm -hmm. stuff before I picked him up and that was like so special and like Mm -hmm. It was so nice to like just have that little pause right. from like doing like the hard work of pushing mm. to like actually okay I got to I get to take this baby in and look at him for a minute and then pick him up and like hug him and kiss him and you know all of that. Whereas mm-hmm. like with Abram I was sideline and they kind of like just put him right on my chest and it felt like super overwhelming and like I couldn't see him and I was like oh. felt weak and shaky and like mm-hmm. I don't know it was just different you know. Right. So I don't know. Just those first moments of like, meeting Coulter were like amazing, and he was like, he was so cute and chubby. And so like wow. my first, my first thought was like, wow, I did it. My second thought was like, wow, you are so chubby. <laughs> and um, his cord was really short, so I couldn't like pull him all the way up to my chest. He was just kind of like on my belly, you know. Mm-hmm. So I like turned around, and once the cord stopped pulsing, um, Tyler cut it, and you know, placenta was born without without any complication or anything and um yeah I don't know I was just on this like crazy birth high like all day so he was born at like a little after eight in the morning so I had like five and a half hours of labor that I like really had to like focus on and give my attention Mm -hmm. to and Mm -hmm. the last few hours of it were definitely like intense and painful but like the first couple hours of that were like it was intense and I you know like I said I had to give like all my 
energy to it, but it wasn't like horror. You know, it was like super manageable. Um, it didn't really get hard till I got in the car. Um, so who knows? Right. How who knows how it would have gone if I just never had to get in the car? You know. Um, right. But I. Yeah, so I hadn't slept much the night before, and he was born a little after eight in the morning. But I like didn't go to bed till like nine that night because I was just like right. so excited, and like yeah, yeah, I love having babies in the morning because <laughs> it's like good to have a party all day, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I was super happy, you know, and he was so cute and so perfect, and um, you know, it was just like it was such a like huge bonding experience for me and Tyler. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there was like at one point like when I was pushing where we were like kissing and stuff and like mm-hmm. like afterwards my midwife and doula were both like yeah like he moved down like you know yeah. like, moved down like a lot like when you guys were kissing it was just like you know it's like all this like oxytocin and like you relax and and everything and so um it's kind of funny when like Tyler tells that part because he's not exact like if he's like talking to other guys he's not exactly like oh yeah you should just make out with your wife during labor but he's also <laughs> like okay but don't be like afraid to if it feels right for you you know right. <laughs> like, like obviously not all women want to be kissed during labor but mm-hmm. um but if they do and they're if everybody's comfortable sometimes it's like really helpful you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and which we I mean we talked about that with your story as well <laughs> um, just mm-hmm. the role of affection and how like our husband's presence is just so helpful for keeping oxytocin flowing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, there was, you know, no complications, obviously. Everything was very safe. Um, he was eight pounds, two ounces. I didn't tear, you know, it was just like, I, mm-hmm. I couldn't have, I couldn't have like come up with a better, with a better story, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so now maybe we can just talk about some of the statistics about around home birth, since mm-hmm. that was my big hang-up um, right. <laughs> when it came to actually choosing it. Um, I've, I think I've shared this before in some other episode, but, like, like, I'm actually really thankful for having dealt with infertility before being able to get pregnant, because I think if I'd got pregnant, like, right away, even if I'd wanted to have a home birth, I, I wouldn't have had enough time to get comfortable with it. You know, and so having to wait three years <laughs> gave me three years to research and like really learn about birth and really learn about home birth. Mm-hmm. So that I was like, yeah, and I think the Lord just like put people in your life too that were like, you know, yeah, influential for that decision and for sure, life changing. Yeah, and like by the time I had Coulter too, like your mom had had two home births by then, mm-hmm. and I had met other people who had had home births, you know, kind of through through Megan my doula that I that I nannied for and stuff and um like I remember well because like your mom's first home birth was a little over two years before Coulter was born and so that was really cool to me like that somebody that I knew well had had a home birth but I was also like okay but she's like a baby birthing expert at this point (laughs) you know I don't know like six I don't know maybe six unmedicated like hospital births at that point so I was like she's like a natural birth like oh yeah it would have been seven because yeah 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 Booney and Arrow were eight and nine and then that was right 
Right. So I just kind of thought of her as like, obviously she knows what she's doing. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like this is not her first baby, whatever. So, Mm. um, you know, I don't think I knew anybody who'd had their first baby at home Mm. when I told her. Um, but you know, your mom had had two home births by then, and my network had broadened out um, quite a lot, and so I knew quite a few people who had had home births by then, and that also was really helpful for me mm-hmm. making decision because even just knowing the kinds of people who had chosen home births it was like so many different kinds of people it wasn't mm. like just super hippie crunchy moms right. or, <laughs> or like or moms who were naturally um more intuitive and instinctual like there were more mm-hmm. moms like that but there were also moms who like whose decision making processes were more like mine like yeah. who were just like really analytical and things like that and so that was really helpful to me to have like the variety of to be like exposed to the variety of experiences and the variety and diversity and women who actually choose home birth you know Mm -hmm. um so one of the really good um like high quality studies on home birth is called um johnson and i don't know if it's davis or davis it's like davis but has two s's at the end so Mm. But that's what it's called. Um, and in that in that study, um, it looked at over 5,000 women who were having babies with a CPM, which is a certified professional midwife um, in the U.S. and Canada. And I'll share the link to that study in the show notes because it's really it's really fascinating. Like there's no way we can talk about everything um, in that study. Mm-hmm. But um there were no maternal deaths in, you know, over 5,000 women. And um, the intrapartum and neonatal mortality rate was like 1.7 per 1,000, which is like right on par with low-risk hospital births. Um, so no maternal mortality, neonatal mat- uh, mortality was very similar to hospital births. Um with these studies, I think it is worth noting that the way they like define things like neonatal um, mortality or intrapartum mortality or perinatal mortality um, isn't always consistent from study mm-hmm. to study. So, like, you know, this this rate of one point seven per a thousand, like, some of those babies may have died during labor itself, but pro- but some of them wouldn't have just because of how it's defined sometimes it includes like stillbirths so like where the baby has already passed before labor happens um sometimes it includes like deaths within the first week so it could be like a SIDS death you know mm-hmm. things like that and so um that can make it like really tricky sometimes to mm-hmm. to evaluate like the data on it especially if you're thinking through like the things you are actually specifically worried about you know mm-hmm. Because most women who are thinking about having a home birth, they're not like, oh, no, having a home birth might make my baby have SIDS, right? They're worried about something happening during labor itself. And right. so so it's always important, like, if you're looking at data and statistics, especially if something seems, like, really off, to see how they're defining those terms because they're just not consistent across the board, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so... If we're looking at that really base base level, you know, kind of that base level of care, um, 
it's very similar for home and hospital, right? Like, mm-hmm. like most most low risk moms and babies survive. You know, right. um, certainly most low risk moms do, and um, you know, for low the babies as well. Like, yes, some of them do die, but they also die in hospital settings, and the rate is right. Very well, I think I think it's worth mentioning that in, in America, which is like very developed country we have the most hospital births and we have the worst mortality rate exactly like when we look at other developed countries we are not doing well at all no (laughs) yeah which yeah i thought about going like looking up like a bunch of statistics on that but it just gets so messy because of how how different countries define certain rates Mm -hmm. but but by any estimate we have at least some of the worst um right for both maternal mortality and and infant mortality um and we spend the most money on maternity right right <laughs> you know and we we don't have you know like our rates of postpartum depression are not great our rates of breastfeeding are really terrible mm-hmm. like all of these other things where it's like okay it's not just about surviving birth it's about these babies long term health afterwards mm-hmm. right and um and then some of the other findings in this study, too, um, like home birth, like care with a home birth midwife is clearly better for moms, like 100% mm-hmm. better for moms. So I'm just going to read a few of the um, rates of like some common interventions that happen in the hospital a lot. Um, first of all, I think it's worth noting 12% of these moms um transferred to the hospital um either during labor or like kind of in the immediate postpartum um so while some of them did need to transfer to the hospital um most of them did not need to and and so like 4.7 percent of the moms ended up having an epidural so it's like okay of the ones who transferred to the hospital it's not like they all went and got an epidural right like a lot Mm -hmm. of about half of them, I think, or close to half, still went on to have, like, unmedicated births in a hospital setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, okay, I know, like, my local I... hospital, the epidural rate is 80 to 90%. Wow. It's, like, it's over 90% for first-time moms in, in the 80% for, mm-hmm. for not first-time moms. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, not that we're like, oh, it's terrible to have an epidural, but it does lead to all kinds of um higher risks of of other things you know so it's it's not without risk right Mm -hmm. Um, and 3.7 percent of the moms ended up with a c-section our national average is right around 30 (laughs) percent so right i think that tells you a lot because you have so many women who end up with a c-section and they're like they're just sure that they're just not capable of Mm -hmm. vaginally and like that's usually nonsense. (laughs) And I mean, sometimes care providers just straight up lie about it. Like I've seen Mm -hmm. it again and again. Um, where they're like, Oh yeah. I mean, it's just like from a practical point, it's just way easier for them to say, Oh yeah, you can't do it. Like, let's just have your schedule here. Like this can work around my schedule. Right. Perfect for me. Right. Like, yeah, you can do it. Yeah. And I think sometimes a care provider might be like, just trying to make the mom feel better. Like, oh yeah like your your pelvis is just not shaking right there's just no way you couldn't you could have 
you could have given birth vaginally like don't feel bad about it you know like sometimes mm-hmm. I think it's the case but it's still a lot of times it's still not true it's not that right. it's never true but it's often not true and right. so we shouldn't be lying to moms to make them feel better you know mm-hmm. right. um and I think a lot of times you'll have moms too who are like oh thank goodness I was in the hospital because I needed a c-section but if you dig into mm-hmm. the story a little bit it's like okay they were induced for a lame reason like say yeah I hear lots of moms induced because they suspect they're having a big baby um Mm -hmm. so they have pitocin pitocin makes labor harder so they get an epidural the epidural slows labor down so they have some more pitocin and before you know it the baby's in distress because Mm -hmm. they're not made to handle that much that much artificial oxytocin Mm -hmm. and then it's like oh, thank goodness there was a hospital to do a C-section or my, ba- my baby would have died. And the baby's mm-hmm. like seven pounds, five ounces or something. Right. You know? Like, and I mean, obviously you always want to be like kind and understanding like with moms who have, where that's their experience. Um, but I think there's also a place for gently pointing out like the cascade of interventions that led to that, especially if that mom's going to have more babies. Because right. it's worth just because like when you know, you you know, kind of when you know, when you know better, you do better type, you know, yeah. type sentiment. Um, and so there's not a perfect way of going about that with with different women. And, you know, sometimes it's not received well, but I think it is important for moms to have the opportunity to at least be aware of what could have what could have been done differently, you know, in those sort mm-hmm. of cases. Um some of the other um, interventions that are commonly used in the hospital and can be uh, problematic. Um, electronic fetal monitoring, um, like continuous electronic fetal monitoring, um, was introduced, I think, in the 70s. And it did not improve outcomes at all, but it increased cesarean rates like mm-hmm. significantly. And so um, in the hospital, like over 84% of moms had um, electronic fetal monitoring um, with a home birth. It was 9.6%. Probably most of those were um, in moms who ended up transferring to the hospital. Um, Episiotomy rate for planned home births is 2.1%. And it was 33% for Mm. comparable low-risk moms in the hospital, which I think is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, well, it used to just be routine. I mean, right? I yeah. Any, and I mean, like... this particular study was just for the year two thousand, mm-hmm. so um, it wasn't as routine at that point. But I think I think that rate. I'm sure it's better now than it was then. But yeah, like when I was born, like it was just the thing that was done. Yeah. Like everybody, pretty much had an episiotomy. Um, and it's like you know why? Yeah, I just. I don't understand why it's like you're going to go to the system. It's like everything is a system there, you know, and you're just basically your business to them, except you don't get to make any of the rules. Like you, you know, you're their boss, but you don't get to make any of the rules. Right. You're the one that's paying for this. And, you know, there's just this theme of like not trusting women's bodies and their ability to give birth. And, um, You know, I want women to give birth where, like, somebody believes in them, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, like, 
all and end all is to have a natural birth or an unmedicated birth or anything. But way more women are capable of it than than do it. And like I want women who want an unmedicated birth to have all the cards in their favor, right? It's not that it's not that they'll never need something different. But like when we actually look at um like Oh, basically, like how how one feels about her um, birth experience. One of the big factors is feeling like they're an active part of the decision making process. Mm-hmm. So, um, even if a mom's birth doesn't go how she hoped, if she's the one who's like making the decisions, um, she'll feel way way better about it, mm-hmm. which is really good for her going into motherhood. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, breastfeeding rates following a home birth, um, over 95% of moms initiated breastfeeding and um, 89, let's see, at six weeks postpartum, um, I think 97% were still breastfeeding, and most of them exclusively, not all of them. Um, I don't know what the exact breastfeeding rates are after a hospital birth. I think it probably varies like a lot based on the hospital and region and stuff, but they're not that high (laughs) at all. And I mean, we'll be talking about this when we do our breastfeeding episode, but there's just like so many benefits to not just babies, but moms too for breastfeeding. And so again, when we're thinking of the overall health of our children, not just their survival of this brief moment in time, Mm -hmm. um, there's like huge benefits to home birth, right? Um, Something I thought too was really interesting and fascinating is um, the statistics for the farm midwifery center, like Ina May's group. Because, and what, okay, so what's fascinating about these statistics to me is, first of all, it spans a really wide range of years, at least the the copy of the book, um, Ina May's Guide to Childbirth that I have, um, has like an appendix in the back that I think is uh, like 1970 to the year 2000. So mm-hmm. spanning 30 years, which makes it a little bit hard to compare to, you know, to like comparable moms who have hospital births, but What's really cool about them is that they were just women attending women and like learning as they went. Mm -hmm. So it was like prior to any of them having, um, you know, they had like some knowledge. I know that there was like a, an obstetrician, kind of an old school obstetrician who gave them some textbooks and like talked them through some like emergency situations, like things like that. Um, But they had very little experience. And not a ton of knowledge. Like they, they were, none of them were, you know, CPMs. Like a CPM didn't even exist at that point, you know. Right. Um, so they were just women attending other women and growing in knowledge and experience over those years. And um, I think like their, their infant mortality rate, I think was 3.9 per 1,000. Um at least in 2019, the overall um, infant mortality rate was like 5.8 per thousand. Um, so obviously that's including some, 
you know, like moms who aren't low risk and stuff. Um, but they like in their statistics, they include like all the moms who start care with them, regardless of where they ended up giving birth. Most of them had their babies at home. But like when you actually look at that rate of of babies who died, I think it was like eight babies out of those mm-hmm. over 2000 births died. And um, like they have kind of like notes about, you know, about what actually happened. And so. Half of them, it wasn't even during labor. It was, you know, like one was, you know, a preemie who was actually born in the hospital. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there was, you know, some were like placental abruptions. Um, one that happened in the hospital and one that happened at home, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. So even like their neonatal mortality rate. Um, included some babies who actually died in the hospital, but because they're really honest about their statistics, they're like, these are all the women who started care with us. And right. this is how it turned out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like one baby died of SIDS, you know, in the first week of life, you know, things like that. And so, of mm-hmm. course, minimize those losses because obviously they're all tragic. But when you actually look a little bit deeper into the statistics on it, um, you know, if they took away, you know, the babies who didn't actually die during birth, that rate would be much, much lower, you know. Right. Um, but even with those, it's still lower than the overall rate in the U.S. And mm-hmm. it's basically for some of those years without with very little training. Um, right. Which is which is like pretty amazing. Right. Because right. um, they're just kind of women who are learning how to how to care for one another and support each other through these big life transitions and of course it kind of started out in the era you know like you're just kind of coming out of like twilight sleep and stuff at Mm -hmm. that point some of those Mm -hmm. that already had babies had done so you know unconscious episiotomy and forceps and not really knowing what Mm -hmm. happened right Mm -hmm. for those women they were like yeah we're not doing that again you know and so they went into it um with like so much less um, data on safety and stuff than we have now, right? Um, but they still overall had really good outcomes. So. Right. You just love to see that, like you know, you can have you can have just this this experience where it's like, oh, you just have your baby, and you know, right? You know, twilight sleep. You get your baby. That's you right. don't get labor. Right. Yeah. And exactly. um, I think really just because something's hard, like labor is really hard, that doesn't mean it's bad. Exactly. And so like even though even though it's really hard it's really worth it and yeah. like finding like not letting your fear make your decisions for you yeah absolutely it's really really vital I think and just like letting like trusting in God and I attended a birth uh, recently and there was this moment where I was like oh my goodness like you could just feel this like thin line between like life and death and earth it was like crazy and Right. I was like, the Lord gives the life. Yeah. And I could just feel his presence so strongly. And um, yeah, and the baby was born. It was perfect and beautiful. And there was no midwife there. I was basically, right. you know, right. I, was, I was kind of the midwife figure. Sure. And, um, and I just felt like, man, like, this is so beautiful. Like, just women coming together. I just came to her, like, randomly. The Lord put her in my life, you know, and yeah, I was exactly. able to serve her in that, in that moment. And um, it was such a blessing. I, I walked away so humbled feeling because, 
you know, it's just like, whoa, like, right. I've experienced birth, but never like that before. It was right. amazing. Right. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, when I attended my friend Abby's birth with her second baby, that was, it was just a really fast birth and the midwife didn't make it in time. Um, I had a little bit of that moment, like, you know, after he was born and hadn't really started like taking, like really breathing and crying yet, which is so normal, like maybe mm-hmm. to transition. There was like that feeling of like that thin, that thin veil, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> Before, yeah. like life and death. And it wasn't, it wasn't like a fearful thing. Right. Yeah. Felt the gravity of it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And for me too, that was the only time I'd seen, um, a woman give birth without like a professional mm-hmm. it was also just like so humbling and I was like so yeah. amazed and I was like I'd been at all these you know I'd been at other great birth experiences um and had great birth experiences myself but yeah I'd never seen it like that before mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah I think I don't know just having that experience I don't know. I think women attending other women is so important. Yeah. Because we need each other. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's good for us to see other women being strong. Right. And, um, just like what that kind of does to our collective sense of strength and femininity, um, I think is super important. Mm-hmm. And if that was more common culturally, um, women would be so much better off. And yeah. they're like so you know there'd be so much less like need for women to be like trying to prove their worth or Mm -hmm. their strength because it would be so obvious because we would have all seen it you know Mm -hmm. right um yeah and like kind of going back to what you were saying about fear too like I had a lot of fears in my pregnancy Mm -hmm. with her and I think like if I had just kind of like swept those under the rug and not dealt with them, I think it's really likely that they would have come up during labor Um, or that I would have just made very misguided decisions that weren't actually doing anything to address the thing I was afraid of. Um, It just would have been like kind of like a reactive, a reactive decision making process. And so I think like when we, when you have fears during pregnancy, um, which almost everybody does, at least mm-hmm. on some level. Um, sometimes it's not like about birth itself. Sometimes it's about like parenting or, you know, like whatever. Right. It can be like really broad, you know. But I think it's just so important to actually address those fears and like mm-hmm. pray about them, like know what you're able to do about them and what you're not able to do about them, right? Like mm-hmm. there are things that are in our control that can have a really positive impact on our birth experiences and on our mothering and our children's health and all of those things. And it's worthwhile to figure that out and do those things. But then there's some things that we just, we don't have control over. And so it's important to just be at peace with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just think, I think for me, like addressing those fears and kind of just like facing them head on during pregnancy allowed me to have a really, a fearless labor and birth experience like right. I, I, when I was giving birth like right. you know mm-hmm. I've had fears leading up to it sometimes um and I think like with my second baby I was I kind of had a little bit of like the oh crap I have to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> like and so I was like 
it was kind of funny because I was like afraid of being afraid I'm like oh mm-hmm. what if labor starts and I'm like and I'm afraid of it you know but that right. didn't like labor started I was like okay we're doing this and I was excited and I wasn't mm-hmm. afraid at all you know and so I think tack kind of tackling your fears and facing them head on and right. also like giving them to the Lord mm-hmm. is often part of what allows you to have that fearless birth experience right so yeah I think one other thing that I just want to say about my midwifery care um was that like all the evidence-based practices like I I was like all about evidence-based care you know and uh, because of being so like you know analytical and data-driven you know Mm -hmm. but all of the evidence-based practices that I had to fight for in the hospital setting were just standard practice for my midwife Mm -hmm. so intermittent like listening to heart tones intermittently with a doppler that's just standard for her i had to like jump through hoops to try to get to get that in the hospital um delayed cord clamping that's like standard for her and actually waiting Mm -hmm. till the cord has stopped pulsing in the hospital they're like oh yeah we always wait for one or two minutes it's like well most cords are still pulsing after one or two minutes right yeah Um, and so yeah, I mean, that was, that was like part of, you know, just part of what made me so like excited about my midwifery care was like, I know about all this evidence-based care and I have to like fight for it and talk to every person I come into contact with about it when I'm in the hospital, mm-hmm. to make sure it happens. And for my midwife, it's just her default, you know? Right. So yeah, I mean, that kind of just goes along with the safety of it in general you know right that was a big big deciding factor for me (laughs) Mm -hmm. so yeah so i think that probably wraps it up then yeah Um, so um i mean i think just like a couple of things i think are worth um maybe thinking about for parents for moms or dads who are um thinking about having a home birth and kind of going through the what ifs and thinking about the safety is um just like know what you're actually afraid of because you know there can just be this vague fear of birth without actually knowing like what can actually go wrong Mm -hmm. so like at least learn enough to know what you're afraid of you know and I think it's also just worth um knowing you know like a lot of the things that people will bring up are things like what if the baby gets stuck or what if you hemorrhage um things like that and um you know most midwives like carry pitocin with them that they can give you if you hemorrhage and that's exactly what they do in the hospital you know (laughs) um if the baby gets stuck um probably your midwife is probably more skilled at actually getting a baby unstuck right hospital setting because there's more mobility of movement um one of the things that i'm that i hear over and over again is what if the cords are on the baby's neck it's like well that actually happens in 30 percent of births mm-hmm. and they're going to handle it very similarly in the hospital or a home setting and it's not mm-hmm. actually it's not usually actually a problem you know so yeah i would just encourage people to know what you're afraid of and then actually learn about how those issues are addressed 
and know that most of those things can be addressed very similarly in a home and a hospital setting. Um, and especially if you're expecting a baby, just like interview some midwives and ask them those things because mm-hmm. a good midwife is not afraid to address those questions at all. Right. Mm-hmm. So those are just some kind of final thoughts I'd like to leave parents with. Um, I'm also going to leave quite a few links in the show notes. Um, a couple a couple books that are really helpful um, are Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering by Sarah Buckley and also Home Birth, Safe and Sacred by Kim. Oh, I'm going to butcher her last name. It's like uh, Osterhalter, something yeah. like that. It's long, but that one's really good. It's short. It's succinct. succinct. It's very clear. So if you're if you like to learn by reading, that's the one I would start with for sure. And then also um, The Business of Being Born is um, one of the documentaries I mentioned. And then another great documentary on home birth is called Why Not Home. And it's actually about um, medical care providers, uh, med- like health professionals who have chosen to have their babies at home. So that's like kind of a really fascinating look. Mm-hmm. at. And then I'm going to link that study. And I'm also going to link... Um, a podcast episode that my friend Brooke did um, called Hesitant Husbands. And it's just kind of about, um, you know, when the mom wants to have a home birth and the dad doesn't, mm. usually that kind of down to fears about safety. So I'm going to link right. that as well, try to load you guys up with good resources because this is such a big topic that it's really hard to address it thoroughly, even in almost an hour and a half that we spent on it. So... <laughs> Eden. Um, so uh, feel free to follow us on Instagram at uh, Schiffer Life. Um, also, we have a shop on Spreadshop that I will link. And also, um, we'd love to have you join us on our community on Substack. Thanks again for listening to this episode and cannot wait to get back to it. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Bye.